Alright, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our series this morning on such a great salvation and particularly talking about healing once again this morning. So uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to thank, thank you to those who have partnered with us for their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the top right corner where it says give, it's highlighted in blue, and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And our mailing address is on the bottom footer of every page on our website. Well, without further ado, let me go ahead and jump right into our message. We have a lot to cover again this morning. We've been talking for months now on such a great salvation we started talking about the gift of salvation, kind of defining what salvation is. We talked about the purpose of salvation, the necessity of salvation, and then we've been talking for months now on the benefits of salvation. And we did a mini-series. We're doing three mini-series within the series of such a graph of salvation under the umbrella of the benefits of salvation. And one of those was uh, we did about five or six weeks on the benefits of salvation and as it relates to wholeness. And now we've already been in a couple months here talking about the benefits of salvation regarding to healing. Okay, we still have a couple more weeks to go. Okay, and then we'll be talking about the benefits of salvation as it relates to prosperity. And how uh, we'll be uh, debunking some myths about that that are just incorrect on both sides of the fence. And so, um, uh, and so anyway, we're still talking about the benefits of salvation and particularly talking about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to healing. The last couple of weeks, we have talked about some controversial issues regarding uh, that surround this uh, subject of healing, this doctrine of healing, and we looked at Paul's thorn in the flesh, uh, Timothy's stomach issues, <coughs> excuse me, trophomias, excuse me, I always chop his name up. Most of us don't have heard of Aphrodite's illness and Elijah's illness. I dealt with the first four of these last week. Uh, I kind of rushed through the last two. That I dealt with last week, so I want to redo those this morning. But real, real, real quick, let me recap of uh, what I did with uh, Paul's Thorn in the Flesh. This will be a much shorter uh, uh, recap than I've done in the previous weeks. But the context of Paul's Thorn in the Flesh is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 through 13, and particularly in chapter 12. And it's in these verses where we see that verses 7 and 8. When Paul says, Thus I should be exalted above measure, and by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. As I've said over the last couple of weeks, this is not a messenger of God, this is a messenger of Satan. Paul is very specific about what, who this messenger is. God did not send the thorn in the flesh, it was a messenger of Satan. That's specifically what Paul says. Okay, so for us to say it otherwise, we are just lying against the scriptures. Okay, Satan's purpose was to knock Paul down a notch. Paul was saying in this context of, of chapters, and particularly this context of verses, I was getting all these revelations, I was being exalted above measure, and God was using me. He was changing the world. And we have still been affected by Paul's letters today. Most of us have come to Christ, or have been discipled in Christ by Paul's letters uh, that he wrote to the churches. And he says, I was reaching multitudes of people. He's still reaching multitudes of people. And the messenger of Satan was sent, messenger was sent by Satan to buffet me. Okay. 
<coughs> Why does Satan do that? That's that should be exalted above measure. Okay, we've we've unpacked a lot of this over the last couple of weeks. This word buffet means uh, in both the, and in English it means to wrap in the fist. It means to beat repeatedly. And the best example of having that is the waves on the seashore, buffeting again and again and again the seashore by the waves. You don't just see one wave that comes every once in a while, every blue moon. You see a wave coming constantly. It's buffeting the seashore again and again and again. So the sword of the flesh of Paul was talked about. It was a messenger sent by Satan. Its purpose was to bring Paul down because he was being exalted. Okay? And he was being buffeted continually by Satan. Paul preached the kingdom of God in such a way that he faced constant demonic assaults and opposition and persecution. Paul's thorn was not from God. God was exalting Paul through the revelations he was receiving. Okay? The devil knew I better stop this guy and bring him down to a he began to buffet him. It says in 2 Timothy that all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. That level of persecution may vary from person to person, from country to country, but uh, we all who desire to live godly will face some type of, uh, some level of persecution. I don't know if you've you noticed this, but as many of us have begun to trust God in our life, begin to walk with God in our life, bam, you get hit by something. And then you get back up, you start trusting God again, you start walking with God again, and then bam, you get hit again. That's you being buffeted by uh, Satan. That's, as you're getting the, you might not have the level of revelation that Paul had, but you have a level of revelation, and Satan is going to try to bring you down. Why is he trying to bring you down? Because he's trying to discourage you. He's trying to dishearten you. Okay? He's trying to buffet you. So that you back up, you back down, you back out, and you quit. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. In Galatians chapter 4, we've dealt with how, how a lot of people thought this was an Asian eye disease. I'm not going to go through all of this again, but it says, I came to you the first time. He, he talked about, he talked, and if you read the context of Galatians 4, 13 to 16, it says, I came to you the first time with infirmity. You did not reject me. You treated me like an angel. Now I tell you the truth, and I become your enemy. Okay? And that, in Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 18, we see that a man gets healed. The people get upset. This was in Lystra. Lystra is part of Galatia. Okay? All, they were already upset over the message of grace, and they, they're thinking now of killing Paul because a man gets healed. Okay? Paul had people so mad at him that this thorn in the flesh, this message sent by Satan to buffet him, Satan stirred up messengers people from all the way from Antioch and Iconium, which were also in the region of Galatia as well, but there were, some of these were 60, 30 miles away, okay, who came down to Lystra, who was also in Galatia, and they stirred up the people against him and stoned him and left him for dead. After he was dragged out of the city, left for dead, after he had been stoned, uh, Paul was raised from the dead. The disciples gathered around him. He gets up, he goes back into the same city, Lystra, and then the next day he goes all the way to Derby. Derby's also in Galatia, okay? And he preaches the gospel, okay? And then Paul went back to Lystra, where he was stoned. He went back to Iconium and Antioch, the crowds that were stirred up against him, okay? Why did he go? Because he went to continue, 
he went to strengthen the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. <coughs> Not that only did Paul have the tenacity to go back to where he was being persecuted, he went back, not for his own sake, not because of his own ego. He went back to continue, to, to, to encourage the disciples to continue in the faith. Why does Satan move upon, excuse me, why does Satan move upon religious people to attack the church and even governments to attack the church? Because he's trying to discourage you. He's trying to get you to deny the faith. Just like he was trying to discourage Paul. And not only was he trying to discourage Paul, he was also trying to discourage the, 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 the followers of believers in Galatia, in Lystra, Iconium, in uh, Antioch, and even Derby. He was trying to discourage them. They, they were already, some of them were already having a challenge with the message of grace, but then they saw this guy getting beat up and left for dead. I don't know about you, but if someone comes and preaches you the gospel, and the messenger, they come and beat him, left him to death. Some of you are going to recoil and not want to uh, follow it, even if you believe it. Because you don't, want, you, you don't want them to come beat you up and leave you for dead. Okay? And so the, Paul was going to strengthen the believers. I mean, we look even in Acts 23, we see how some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat or drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 of them who had formed this conspiracy. Okay? The devil was out to buffet Paul. That was his thorn in the flesh, his buffeting, this messenger of Satan to bring down Paul, trying to stop this man. And we have attributed to, or some groups have attributed it to some Asian eye disease. It's not an Asian eye disease. Okay? It was persecution. It was, uh, 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 Trying to know the word I'm looking for, but it's just a uh, just the the, the the problems and that that accompany being. I mean, when you're being stoned and, and all these different things, and in Second Corinthians 11, he listed a bunch of the things that he went through, left for dead. He was left for dead and stoned many times, uh, but he, even though he was being buffeted by Satan, this guy was not going to give up. Okay. And they tried to kill him, they left him out for dead, but he still raised up and went back. So in addition to Paul's sword in the flesh, we've been looking at, we looked at Timothy's stomach issue last week. I'm going to recap this one a little faster than last week as well. In 1 Timothy 5, 5 21-25, Paul begins to speak to a young pastor named Timothy. And in the beginning of verse 21, he makes a charge before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. And he, he, so, in the preceding, in the next verses, in the next several subsequent verses, okay, he makes a charge. A charge is not a suggestion. A charge is not a, an advisement. A charge is nothing less than a commandment, okay? And he's making this charge, this commandment before the Lord, Jesus Christ, and before the elect angels, okay? And... Among these list of things, he mentioned several things. I'm not going to reread the whole context this morning. But in verse 23, he says, he tells Timothy, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy own infirmities. Okay? And so we, a lot of people have made a doctrine that Timothy had stomach issues. Okay, can I just say something real quick? He says, I charge you, going back to verse 21, drink no longer the water. 
And I wish Timothy quit drinking the water. <coughs> I don't know how spiritual you think you are, but water is not good everywhere. There are some parts of the world, there are some countries in the world where the water is not good everywhere. Okay? And if you drink that water long enough, you too will have stomach issues. Sometimes there's just a simple thing as a cause and effect. And so Paul, who was his, um, uh, Timothy was Paul's apprentice, and as his teacher, as his apostle, as his mentor, he was telling him, stop drinking water. We give him some other charges, but one of the charges was stop drinking water so that you won't be sick. Okay? Drink a little wine. And in other words, the wine was an alternative. There are some places, no matter how strong your faith is, it's wiser to drink the alternative. And wine was an alternative. He said, drink a little wine. He didn't say get drunk. Okay. So, or if you don't drink the alternative, you will have a stomach infirmity. And if you keep doing it, you're going to have a reoccurring stomach infirmity. Okay. You can actually destroy yourself. You can actually die. Okay, there is a fine line between believing God for something and tempting God. Last week I talked about, you know, it says in Psalm 91, that you shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, and you'll bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Do you know the devil quoted this to Jesus in the three temptations of Jesus? Okay, and there is a difference between an accident and the angels having charge over you, a promise from God, a promise from his word, and you tempting God and purposely jumping off a cliff, quoting Psalm 91. That's what, that's what Satan tempted Jesus to do. And Jesus' response to the devil was, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay? It also says in Mark 16 that these signs will follow those who believe. And I'm, rather than reading the whole context of what it says, I'm going to jump down to, and they, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And there is a difference between an accident or someone forcing you to drink some poison or something unhealthy, like some bad water. There's a difference between having an alternative and knowing something is deadly, quoting Mark 16. Uh, okay. In Mark 16, it also says that you, if they take up serpents. Okay? They, it doesn't mean that we just play with deadly snakes. Okay? And so there's a difference between trusting God, standing on His promises, and doing something just flat out foolish and stupid. Okay? And tipping our God. Then we looked at last week, and this is where I want to slow down again and redo some of this teaching on Trophimus. I think I did a better shot at that. Trophimus, I'm a little more realistic here. Okay, anyway, and we find Trophimus, we only have one verse for him, and he's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 19, and he specifically verse 20. And I'll try to read this, a lot of fancy names here, but Paul, in his, he's, he's, he's ending his letter, his last letter he ever wrote, and he says, Greet Priscilla, Prissa, and Aquila, in the house of Onesias, Horus, Erasmus, I wish they were just Jim and Bob, stayed in Corinth, but... Trophimus, I have left and milked us sick. Okay? 
And why am I going through these controversial issues? Because people have used some of these scriptures as a controversy that healing is not for everybody. Okay, God doesn't always heal everyone, everywhere, every time. Paul left Trophimus sick in Miltus. Okay, Paul also left a lot of lost people in Miltus. Okay, not everyone who was in Miltus got saved. Okay, I, you know, again, some of that is hypothetical. I will, I will admit to that. But the chances are very high that not everyone in Miltus was saved. Okay. That, does, that, that, does that mean that God doesn't will for everyone to be saved? No. God wills for everyone to be saved. Okay? God left some brokenhearted people in Miltus. Does that mean that God doesn't want to heal the brokenhearted? Or heal every broken heart? God left, Paul left some marriages that were collapsing in Miltus. Does that mean God doesn't want to restore every broken marriage? No. See, my point is that if you're going to paint the brush... With one aspect, uh, not everyone got healed, even Trophimus. Then you got to paint the brush for everything that Paul left behind in Miltus. Okay? And so, you can't build a doctrine. My point is, you can't build a doctrine that it was God's will for Trophimus to be left sick. We don't know all the reasons why he was left sick. We just don't know. We're speculating. It's hypothetical. And I'm not condemning anyone for being sick. And I'm not going to condemn you or any pastor for leaving someone sick. But let's keep standing for your healing or the healing of your loved ones. Okay? If Paul had to leave some people sick, we might have to leave some people sick in some cases. But it doesn't change the word of God. It doesn't change the will of God. It doesn't change the plan of God. There are probably a lot of lost people listening to my message today as they're scrolling through Facebook and other media channels where our, our messages are streamed. Okay? We will not pressure you to become a born-again believer. We will not pressure you to be saved and be born again. But many lost people will hear my message today and not believe. Okay? Chances are very high. Based on all the social medias that were our, our messages are live streamed on YouTube and Facebook alone, many people will listen to my message today and not re become born again. Yet we are still committed to see you get saved. We are still committed to see you get healed. We are still committed to see you get delivered. We're still committed to see your marriage get restored. We're still married to see, to see your life change and transform by the power of God and His Word. God's Word is still true. No matter if you believe what I say or don't, whether you believe and become a born-again believer or not, the Word of God is still true, and God's will is still settled in heaven and earth, and we need to keep believing God, and we need to keep standing on His Word. We need to keep fighting the fight of faith, and we need to keep learning. Okay? Trophimus was a preacher. Okay? We don't know a lot about him. But here's another point that we can take away from Trophimus. Trophimus being left behind Miltus sick. Preachers are not immune to sickness. I'm not immune to being sick. I have this little cough that comes around every now and then because of my asthma. Asthma, you know, asthma is a form of sickness. At the same point in time, I have not had the cold, flu uh, since 2009. I have not been sick. I've never I haven't had a fever. I haven't uh, gotten sick to the stomach. I have not had what we call a normal sickness where we have to call off sick at a job. 
I have to have COVID. I don't plan on getting COVID. <coughs> but if I, if I do, I know the brother by his stripes we are healed and I will receive my healing. I'm not immune to sickness, sin any more than I'm immune to being to sin. The Bible says if a man thinks he's sin, to think he lets he fall. Okay? I have to resist sin and sickness just like you do. Okay? Paul said that this way, and I'm not going to read the whole context, but in Acts 14, he says, we are also men with the same nature as you. In the King James, he says it this way, we are men of like passions, just like you. In Acts chapter 3, Peter says, uh, Peter and John said, as though they were talking to the crowd out there, they just killed the man at the gate, beautiful. He says, why do you look at it so intently? And that by our own power of God and if we made this wet man walk. My point I'm trying to make here is that both Peter and Paul said they had no special power. Okay? They both said it's faith in God and His Word. And that faith in God and His Word is available to all of us. Okay? So let's look at one more time at uh, Epaphroditus. Okay? Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly, that I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Paul loved this man. It was, it was a brother to him. It was very dear to his heart. He mentions him in many of his books. Okay? And he goes on to say, in verse 26 and 27, since he was longing for all of you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He was sick. Okay. Past tense. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What's the sorrow upon sorrow? His friend dying. His friend being sick. Do you think it doesn't sorrow me when some of you are struggling, your family members are struggling? <clears throat> sorrow upon sorrow. Why do I have sorrow? Why do I already have sorrow? Because if you've ever been a pastor, if you've ever been in ministry, you already have a burden for the people, for the things that you go, we all go through. Not just sickness, but financial, relational, alive things. Okay? And so... There's already a burden. And if you are, as we were talking with Paul's son in the flesh, Paul was already going through a lot of different sorrows, just being left for dead and persecutions and all different times. He had a lot on his plate. And he had a lot of attacks being buffered by the enemy. And then on top of that, his friend's sick and almost dying. That's sorrow upon sorrow. Okay? He goes on to say, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Why do we need to let hold such men in esteem? Because just like Trophimus, some people put down Aphrodite for getting sick. Both them were ministers and they got sick. Okay? One was left behind sick and the other one, he got sick to the point where he almost died. Okay? Don't think Last of Aphroditus just because he got sick. Paul didn't. Paul didn't look down there. He was sorrowful. He was, I mean, he, if your friend, your co-laborer in the Lord is sick, you're going to be sorrowful. I don't, I'm not, 
I don't rejoice if I believe in healing and you're sick. I don't rejoice in that. There's no joy in that. Okay? Some don't believe in healing. Okay? Some already don't believe it. I'm, what I'm doing, I'm picking back on this statement. Don't think less of Ephrathitis because he got sick. Some already don't believe in healing. Okay? Yet many who do believe judge those who get sick. I've seen that all the time. Okay? Those who don't believe in healing are judging us because we believe in healing. And those who believe in healing judge those who are not who are getting sick. And that's wrong. Just because I believe in healing, I will never judge you for getting sick, having COVID, or anything else. I'm not going to judge you. Okay? I'm not going to say what some people say. What's wrong with them? Why are they sick? Or say something like, they must be weak in faith. How many of you know religious people can be very mean? But so can what I call the grace beliefs can also be very mean. Those who preach grace don't show any grace. Okay? God forbid on both sides of these camps. Don't judge the sick. Don't judge people. Okay? Pray for the sick. Sorry, my slides are going a little slow. Pray for the sick. Paul said, because for the work of the Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. I want to pick it back on this, not regarding his life. What do I mean by that? What many of us do for the Lord is very noble. Okay, not just as ministers, as in the fivefold ministry, like pastors and evangelists and apostles and whatnot. But we can also be very foolish in not having adequate rest, not eating properly, and not exercising properly. And the list can go on. These are not the these are not the only ones. If you don't rest long enough, your body will be susceptible to sickness. Okay? If you don't eat properly, your body will be susceptible to sickness. And if you don't exercise properly, your body will be susceptible to sickness. I don't care who you are, but you have a mortal body you have to take care of. Your spirit is not mortal. It is immortal. It's born again. It's born again of incorruptible seed. But you don't have uh, your, your your new body. Your glorified body has been purchased, but you have, your body has not been redeemed yet. You still have a mortal body that needs to be taken care of uh, while you're still on this planet. Okay, you have to honor certain natural laws that are in the Epictetus violated some natural laws. I'm not saying the law of God, but some natural laws that God did establish. Okay? Ephroditus overworked in the ministry. Doing something noble. Doing something godly. Doing something of, I believe that one of the highest noble things he could do. But he overworked doing the ministry. Therefore he almost died. And both Peter and Paul said they themselves were no special power. Let alone Ephroditus have any special power. Because he was a minister. It's faith in God's word and his word alone. And it's available to all of us. Okay. So the, now I'm going to deal with the last one that's on my list. And that's Elisha's illness. I know this is Old Testament. But we're going to get some New Testament truths out of this. As we look at Elisha. How I many you know that all scripture is inspired by God? It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God might be fully equipped for every good work. 
Paul wrote that in the New Testament in 2 Timothy. He said that to us, that we can use all scripture as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Okay, so we're going to look at Elisha real quick. Who's Elisha? Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Okay, and he had a double portion of Elijah's anointing, his mantle, his ministry. Okay, he did twice as many miracles that Elijah did. And Elijah was a pretty, uh, pretty famous, for that matter, for all the miracles that he did in his ministry, his lifetime. <coughs> Excuse me. Elisha saw Elijah caught up in a chariot of fire and who faced, faced no physical death. So Elisha succeeded Elijah. He had double portion of the anointing that Elijah had it had. And Elijah, he saw Elijah not die. He saw Elijah caught up in the chariot to heaven and not die. I don't, I don't have all the explanations for that. But this is the man. He succeeded Elijah and had a double portion of the, uh, double portion of the anointing, excuse me, and he saw Elijah caught up. Okay? This was the man who died. Elisha died, not Elijah. Okay? But this is the context. And wouldn't someone like Elisha, who had this and saw this, wouldn't he think that he wouldn't have, he wouldn't live long too? Okay? If he had a double portion, wouldn't we think that he would die too? Okay? Maybe I don't have to physically die. Elijah, my sister, the one I'm succeeding, didn't die. I saw him get caught up. And I have a double portion of his mantle, of his ministry. Well, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 13, where this story is seen. In 2 Kings, it says, Now Elisha was fallen sick, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, excuse me, my father, the church of Israel, and their horsemen thereof. Verse 15. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. And he took unto him a bow, bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thy hand upon thy bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. I'm not going to elaborate too much on this part, but I just want to say this. Elisha, the prophet, was anointing are putting his hands, his approval, his blessing on the king's bow and arrow. His hands that was on the bow, Elisha was putting his blessing on that. Okay? They were at war right now with Syria. And Elisha, on his deathbed, was still ministering to the king of Israel. Okay? Verse 17. And he said, Elisha speaking, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, where thou shalt smite the Syrians in Hapak, and till thou hast consumed them. Okay? Speak of verse 18. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. So far, he's been very compliant with whatever Elisha told him. Okay? And then he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice, three times, and stayed, or stopped. Verse 19. And the man of God was wroth with him, okay, and said, Thou shalt have smitten five or six times, and thou hast not smitten Syria, so thou hast consumed it. 
whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. He was wroth with the man of God. I just want to take you back on this for a moment, though. This was, I believe, a godly anchor. Okay. Elisha wanted, see, wanted Joash and Israel to do well. Just like any parent wants to see their kids do well. Any pastor wants to see the people that they're pastoring, ministering to, do well. And this was a godly anchor because sometimes we just, as leaders, as mentors, as pastors, as spiritual fathers and, and whatnot, we need, we are going to encourage you, and sometimes with some wrath, for you to press in. Sometimes we're going to have some raw, some godly anger. We're not mad at you, but we are showing, expressing some raw for you to keep going and not give up. Sometimes I may come across wrong, and I have at times in the past. Because I know God has more for you than you're experiencing or have experienced. And there's this raw. Not because I'm mad at you per se, but I'm mad at you because I'm perceiving that you are settling for too little. And God has more for you than you're experiencing. I know God has more for you than you are sometimes believing for. Sometimes I'm mad at myself in the same context. Or at my wife on behalf of us. If I can say it that way. I want you all I want you to get all that God has for you. And sometimes I'm going to come across as wrath, not because I'm mad at you, but because I am, there's this, I'm looking for a word, but I just, I'm looking for this, I, I just want you to succeed. I want you to have all that God has for you. I want you to press in and not give up. And it comes across sometimes wrong, but I'm, I just want you to have all that God has for you. I'm hoping that makes sense. I want you to get everything God has for you and everything Christ paid for you on the cross. And this subject matter that we're talking about over the last several months, such a great salvation, which includes wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, and more. When you settle for so much, for so much less than what Christ died to give you. It angers me. Just like it angered Elisha. I'm not mad at you. I'm actually mad at the devil. For deceiving you. For encouraging you to give up and settle for so little. So again, he said, thou shalt, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. And then when then hast thou smitten Syria, thou hast consumed him. And whereas thou shalt smite Syria but thrice, because he only has supposed to come in one time. And he goes on to say, verse 20, And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast, and there were robbers, there were raiders, and they cast the man into the sepulchre of Elisha, 
And when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha. He revived and stood up on his feet. This is Old Testament. But I want you to understand something. Elisha was dead. And yet, his body still had the influence. Okay? I don't know how to explain all that, but that was going on here. Elisha had a double portion anointing to heal others. He did twice the many miracles that Elisha did. Yet his own anointing could not get himself healed. And he still had that anointing even after he died. And he had the anointing that went beyond the grave and even his body decayed. This is, this is deep stuff, folks. And where his bones, his body had already decayed. He'd already been in the grave. And his bones raised a man from the dead. Okay? Elisha got sick and died. And you can be anointed and still have a personal battle of sickness like Elisha did. He got sick and he died. He had anointing, he, but he got sick and died. And again, this goes almost with Trophimus and Aphrodite, that you can be anointed and still battle something like a sickness and even die. Okay? And today, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm going on this. Today, if a faith, a grace preacher got sick and died, such as even myself or others, People would discount their ministry because they got sick and they died. They preach healing. They preach faith in God. They preach faith. They preach grace. But because they got sick and died themselves, many people would discount their ministry. They give up on God and His Word and discount healing. Give up on God's will to heal. Because a man, because some man, like Elisha, had an experience that contradicted the Word of God. If I were to get sick and die, that experience would have contradicted the Word of God. And just because I get sick and die, just because I have a cough or a healing infirmity, does not mean that you need to discount my ministry, and even if you discount my ministry, that you don't give up on God and His Word and His will to heal. Okay? Elisha had a double anointing, a double anointing then of Elijah. He got sick and died, and there's a lot of, how many of you know there's a lot of bad things that happen to good people? Okay? We don't always have an answer for everything. And some of you are going to ask me and have asked me, why did Elisha die? I don't know. I don't know why Elisha died. But I'm teaching you how to live. I can't say what I don't know. But I can say what I just read in the Word of God. Elisha, even while he was dying, he was still being used by God to King Joash of the nation of Israel to give him counsel and wisdom and prophecy. Okay? And even after he died, he was still raising the dead. With his bones. I can tell you. 
what the Word of God says. I can't tell you what I don't know, but I can tell you what the Word of God says. The Word of God does not say why Elisha died. It just says that he died. No matter who dies, God still wills to heal. And I don't condemn Elisha for not getting healed, or Trophimus, or Epidimus, or anyone else. And I won't condemn you for not getting healed, or any other family member, or loved one. I don't know why some people don't get healed, and why some people die. But I will tell you this, I have seen more live, than I have seen die. Okay? I have seen and heard hundreds healed from cancer. I have seen a few die of cancer. And I'm never going to stop praying for people. I'm never going to stop standing for healing. I'm never going to stop believing for healing. I'm never going to stop preaching because Jesus heals. But what if it doesn't work? People will say. All I know to tell you is that we have, and I have, an eternal promise. All I know to tell you is that I have the hope of the resurrection. That my prayer will be answered. As well as your prayer. Elisha was dead and gone, and he was still raising the dead. And we have a covenant that is built on better promises than even that. Called the new covenant. The blood. If you die, it's not the end. Jesus is coming again. And your body will be resurrected. And everybody will be healed eventually. No matter what you believe, I will fight for your healing. And I will fight for your finances. And I will fight for your marriages. And I will let God be true in every man alive. I will not exalt sickness. I will exalt Jesus. I will not bow to sickness. I will bow to Jesus and Him alone. He is my Lord. Not sickness, not COVID, not cancer, not any other disease. It will bow. And I will bow and magnify and exalt Jesus over any sickness and over any sin, any I'm not going to condemn anybody, but I'm going to believe God. Okay. Well, that was, that was the conclusions of last week's message that I didn't get to finish. So let me go into this week's message and at least get started with them when we'll carry this on to next week. I have two more main points I want to address before we end this mini-series on healing. If not a mini-series, we've been talking about this for months. But it's just a, a sub-series. It's probably more accurate work. Where there's a series of talking about such a great salvation. And one of these last things I want to talk about, uh, one of the two last things I want to talk about is the subject of unbelief. We've touched on it from time to time uh, through this message, but I want to talk about unbelief a little more in detail. I want, you, I don't, I want to say this to encourage you, to help you. Okay? Unbelief hinders us from receiving the promises of God. Now I'm going to start with a I'm going to start with a phrase in Mark chapter nine, and then I'm going to teach you some things over the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to come back to Mark chapter nine later, and we are going to elaborate and get the full gist of this. 
So I'm going to mention something here. We're going to teach over it over the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to come back to this after we got teaching, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 9 and a better scope. Okay? That makes sense? So, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, this is a phrase I want to look at, and we're going to come back to this later, not till at least next week. But immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's the phrase I want to look at before we go into this teaching. I don't believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Why do I like this phrase? Why do I want to piggyback on this phrase? And we're going to look at the context in a little more detail later. Because many of us have been here. Almost all of us have been here. If not all of us. You believe God's word. You believe the truth. But you're struggling with some type of form of unbelief. And both of them are happy at the same time. You have a form of belief in God and His Word, but you're struggling with some type of form of unbelief at the same time. And it's nullifying your faith. Okay? Jesus, this, this phrase in 9.24 is after Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And that's when the Father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. The man has some level of belief to begin with. If he didn't have a level of belief, that, he would never have brought his son to the disciples of Jesus to get healed. Okay? But he was also struggling with some unbelief. He had a level of unbelief. If you don't have at least a, 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 a little bit of a belief and faith, you're not going to ask for prayer. If you totally disbelieve God healed, you're not going to ask for prayer to be healed. So he had faith to a measure. But he, at the same time, he was also struggling with some type of unbelief. And he testified, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is where most of us find ourselves. Whatever we're praying for. Maybe it's not about healing or sickness. Maybe it's about something else, financial or relational or wisdom or whatever the case may be. Most of us believers believe. We're born again. We believe. Okay? We are not unbelievers. Most of us believe in God. Most of us believe in Jesus. Most of us believe the Word of God. Most of us believe in prayer. Most of us believe in healing to measure. And most of us believe and miracles, that God can heal, that God can perform miracles. And yet, most of us who are listening to this believe all this. We don't waver in that. And yet, most of us, all of us, struggle with wavering at times. We don't waver with this list, but yet we're wavering in the thing that we're praying for. So there's, you know, I'm going to talk about various types of unbelief, but I want to give you some examples so I understand what I'm talking about when I, when I say different types of unbelief. There's different types of love. We know that there's Eric's love, which is a, 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 an erotic or a romantic or passionate love. There's Philea love of friends and others. There's also storage. I can almost pronounce it right. The love of parents for the children. How I many you know that's a different level than just loving your friends? It's just a different level. And then there's agape. 
God's true love. It, it's God. God is love. It says that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and it repeats in verse 16. And agape, unlike these three, is a noun. These three are verbs. This one is a noun because it's a person. His name is God. And it's a true love. Okay? There's various kinds of hope. Okay? There's the hope of the world. I hope so. <laughs> and there's a true hope in Jesus Christ. A living hope. Okay? There's various types of wisdom. And James says there's an earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom in James 3, 14 to 16. And then it talks about a, a wisdom that's from above in the, in the last two verses. How many of you know the different types of works? There's the works of the law, and there's also the works of faith. Okay? There's various types of righteousness. There's self-righteousness, and then there's true righteousness. And so, just like there's different types of love and faith and works and, and wisdom, all these different things, there's also different kinds of unbelief. And, and with the different types of unbelief, there are different causes to these different types of unbeliefs, there's different consequences to each of these different types of unbeliefs, and there's different cures to each of these different types of unbeliefs. And we're going to look at all of this as we unpack this over the next couple weeks. Yet, let me say this, Many will become offended regarding being told that they have unbelief. If you tell someone that they have unbelief, 99% of the time they are going to be offended by that remark. It may be true, but many people do not like being told that they have unbelief. A lot of times when you tell someone they have unbelief, they're going to say something like, I believe God. I have faith. Okay? We're not saying you do. Or we're not saying that we, you don't. Okay? I think I, I said that wrong. We're not saying that you don't. See, I'm going to deal with something first here. I'm not talking about the extreme kind of unbelief that you don't believe in God and that you don't have faith whatsoever. I'm going to have to deal with the extreme one first that mo I'm not even talking to most of you about. I'm not talking about the extreme unbelief. But, and that's not the type of unbelief I'm talking about when we're praying for healing and answers of prayer. But when people say that, it's because they don't understand that there's different kinds of unbelief. And again, I'm not talking about an extreme kind of unbelief, and that is basically rejecting Jesus. Okay? We're not unbelievers here. There might be some unbelievers watching, listening, but most of you who are listening, watching, the 14,000 people who watch every week, most of you are not rejecting Jesus. The fact that you keep listening to me every week tells me, you're, even if you are an unbeliever, you're on a slippery slope to becoming a believer if you're watching every week. Okay? I am talking about other types of unbelief from receiving answers to a prayer, specifically healing is what we're talking about. And all of us struggle with a form or some type of unbelief. And I want all of us to have victory in our lives, in every area of our lives that we're putting God for. So again, there's different kinds of unbelief, there's different consequences, there's different causes, and there's different cures for these, each of these levels of unbelief. At times we believe one way, but it looks another way in reality. And when that happens, it will minister unbelief to you. When you believe something, but it looks another way, that will minister unbelief to you. See, we believe by a stripes you're healed. 
But yes, some people are sick. Like Trophimus. Like Aphroditus. Like Elisha. And others. We believe God wants to you to have a healthy marriage. But some Christians, some good, good godly Christian marriages are struggling right now. We believe God will bless the works of your hands. But some people, they're struggling in their, in, in their jobs, in their business, in their finances, even though they're working hard. We believe a lot of things, but it looks another way. And when that happens, it will minister unbelief to you in your heart that you have to wrestle with if you uh, don't understand how to cure these different forms of unbelief as they, they take place. So we need to know how to deal with these forms of unbelief, these different forms of unbelief that we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks. So the first one I'm going to deal with, and there's four, four different kinds of unbelief I'm going to deal with, but the first one is a string kind, and we're going to find this in John 16. In John 16, Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. He's spending time with the disciples. He's been talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I want to, and he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I want to pause here for a moment. I'm going to come back here. I just want to go on a little side trail. Okay? Jesus would say the exact same to us today. That it would be better for me to go away so that the helper could come. See, there's a place in your walk with God that it's better that Jesus not be with you physically. I think a lot of us would agree that we have said or thought that if only Jesus was here physically with me, things would be different. And that may be true. Things may be different to an extent. But it's better that he's not with you physically all the time. Is he always with you? He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's with you always. He's on the inside of you. Paul says, I'm crucified Christ, no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives with me. But it's better that Christ is not with you physically. Now some of you are like, where are you going with this, Pastor? Because that goes against everything I believe. <laughs> okay? Good. Let me go back. There's a place in your walk with God that is better for Jesus not to be with you physically but that you know by the Spirit in accordance to the Word of God by faith that He is with you and will never leave you or forsake you. Because sometimes you're not going to be able to see Him physically. Sometimes you're not going to be able to feel Him with your five senses. But you can know by faith that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, that He is with you and he's not going to leave you, forsake you. That is more powerful than him being with you physically. For all things, nothing's impossible to him who believes. Okay? Again, Jesus would say the same thing to us today. That it's better to, that we can't physically touch and even see Jesus. And relate to Jesus in a carnal in a natural way. Because Jesus is not carnal. Carnal, I'm not talking about carnalizing sin. I'm talking about carnalizing natural. It's better that we don't relate to Jesus in a natural way. That he is a, but in a spiritual way. That we relate to him by faith. And his word. And in him. 
He's with us. And when two or more gather, and there's two more here because I'm here and you're listening to them, we already have two more. Jesus is here in the midst of us. And he's here on the inside of us, even if no one else was here. And we, that is powerful because you can take this Jesus no, and no, no matter where you go, no matter what persecution you may come under, no matter what challenge you may come under this earth, well, until Jesus comes and the things uh, that will happen in the earth will get worse and worse. We have Jesus with us. And we don't relate to him in a carnal way. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that we know no man of the flesh, even Christ himself, we don't know after the flesh. Because we don't know him in a carnal, natural way. It's better that we, by faith, know he is with us. And more importantly, that we, it's better that we by faith know that he is in us. Okay. With that said, he says, For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I will send him, the helper, to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Singular. Those are my words. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. I'm going to come back to that, because this is our first point here. I'm talking about unbelief. Of sin, because they do not believe. That's unbelief, okay? Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Okay? So the first one is, because they do not believe in me. The second one is, because I go to my Father. We are made the righteousness by the resurrection of Jesus. It says in Romans 4.25, just a quick footnote, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. And we need to believe that. I'm not teaching so much on righteousness this morning, but he will convict the church, the believers, that we are righteous. The Holy Spirit will remind you no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've done, that you are the righteousness of God in Him. We need that reminder. Okay? And He will remind, so He will remind us of righteousness because I go to the Father and see Him no more. You are not made righteous by your own holiness. You're not made righteous by your own works. You're not made righteous by your own performance. You are made righteous because Jesus is raised from the dead. That's what it says, Romans 4.25. By, by his resurrection, we are justified. We are made righteous. And he goes on to say, of judgment because of the, the, the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. Satan has already been judged and he's already been sentenced. And we are here to enforce that judgment. We don't have to pray about rebuking the devil. We have to believe that we have the authority to rebuke the devil. And the Holy Spirit shows us that these things. What things does he show us? He shows us he convicts the world of sin, singular, and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. That's what we want to focus on. And I could, I could, I could teach all day just on this passage of scripture on these three subject matters. That, that Jesus talked about here in John 16. But of sin, singular, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of unbelief. 
and the cross. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of unbelief in Jesus. Okay? Because, go back here real quick. The sin that he convicts the world of is that they don't believe in him. It's very, uh, Jesus is very specific here. There's no skirting around us. The sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of is that they don't believe in him. Jesus. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. And they convict uh, not believing in the cross, not believing in Jesus. Again, there's various types of unbelief, and the first one is the rejection of the truth, the rejection of Jesus. That's the extreme one. That's not what we're really talking about in this series. But I have to mention that because I have to, you have to be able to distinguish that from the other three that we're going to be mentioning. Most of you are not operating in this type of extreme unbelief. Even if you have not made the decision to receive Jesus and you're listening today, the fact that you are listening means that you're seeking. You might not know that you are. Okay? The fact that you are listening means that you are investigating what I'm teaching. The fact that you're listening means that you are on a slippery slope to becoming a believer if you continue down this path. Which I hope you do. And if you keep coming, you will eventually believe. The fact that if you're listening means that you have not rejected the truth, that you keep listening to it. If you rejected the truth, why would you keep listening? Okay? Even though you still are still in unbelief. I'm sorry, I must miss a slide here. Um, if you're lost today, the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of sins, plural. He's convicting you of one sin. And what sin is that he convicted you? The sin of unbelief. The sin of not believing in Jesus. Through the finished work of the cross. Jesus died for all of our sins, plural. But Jesus made atonement for all of our sins, plural. But the only sin that was not covered by the cross is the rejection of Jesus. I, I could teach on this in hours. I have taught on this in hours before. But the only sin that was not covered by the cross is the rejection of Jesus. All other sins are covered by the, by the cross. And that unbelief has eternal consequences. Remember I said every kind of unbelief has a consequence? The rejection of Jesus has an eternal consequence. Which means you will go to hell and not heaven. You will be, okay, what's the cure of this type of unbelief? Repentance. Believing on Jesus. When you repent and call on the name of Jesus, you go from unbelief to belief. You go from being an unbeliever to a believer. You are delivered from unbelief when you repent and call on the name of Jesus. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a gift. And when you repent, God gives you the gift of faith. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you not to think of himself, for highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to as God hath dealt to each man the 
measure of faith. Not just a measure, but everyone who has received this grace has received the measure of faith. And he not only gives you grace, but he gives you the faith to receive the grace. That's how good God is. And the only cure to this type of unbelief is repentance. Many become offended regarding being told they have unbelief. Because they'll say things like, I believe in God. I have faith. But they don't understand that there are different kinds of unbelief. And what I've been talking about lately is extreme kind of unbelief of rejecting Jesus. And all of us struggle with unbelief. And all kinds of faith have different causes, consequences, and cures. The first one is rejection of Jesus. Uh, rejection of the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the extreme kind. That's not the one we're necessarily talking about. I only got a few minutes left, so I'll, I'll go to the first one, and then we'll, uh, or the second one, which is the second one. And the second one is the corporate unbelief. And then we'll deal with the next ones next week. So I don't know if I'll finish this one this week, but we'll get, at least get started. Many people do not understand this type of unbelief. Which type? The one I'm talking about right now, the corporate unbelief. Okay? So many people don't understand this one. And many times, it hinders the blessing of God in our lives, this corporate unbelief. Why? Why does corporate unbelief hinder us from receiving? Because many people believe they can believe and subject themselves to groups of unbelief. They go to churches, or listen to pastors, or ministries, where there's nothing but unbelief being taught, especially in regards to healing, or whatever such a matter we're talking about, when we're talking about healing in this series. And the unbelief of the group affects them. Many people think it, just because you believe in healing, but if you are on a regular basis being fed and being subjected to a ministry or minister who preaches against healing, or against miracles, or against grace, or against faith, then it will affect you over time, if not immediately. How many of Paul says this? Do not be deceived. I mean, when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. Don't be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. And, okay? You can't believe God for miracles and listen to bad teachings and see a miracle in your life. You can't believe in miracles and listen to teachings that are like anti-miracles. Okay? You're hindering your faith. You're deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. By fellowshipping with people full of unbelief, by fellowship with people full of doubt, by fellowshipping with people who are not even trying to believe for God, for healing, for miracles, you, in other words, you can't even un, you can't even unbelieve until you believe. What do I mean by that? See, some churches don't struggle with unbelief. They don't even have belief for healing, for miracles, etc. Okay? Because we believe, okay, we're tempted to unbelieve. Am I making sense? If you are believing for a miracle, 
You need to get around those who believe in miracles too. And are teaching in the God of miracles. I'm not saying that's the only thing we teach about. And that's all we teach about. But if you're in the church and they never teach about it. And they're never going to pray about it. And they're going to believe God for it. That's not good. Let me give you another example. If you are believing for a good marriage. It is helpful that you're around those who have one. We can read about this in Timothy and Titus. You have the older teach the younger. And sometimes it's not about age. Sometimes it's just about you got a healthy marriage. And sometimes I just want to be around you and your marriage. My wife and I do because even though we believe we have a good marriage, we can glean from those who have a good marriage too. Okay? If you are broke and your friends are broke, chances are high you're probably getting bad advice. At the same point in time, I know Tragedies can happen, circumstances can happen, where you found yourself in a dire place that's not, and he, he, you know. But if you're around those who uh, don't believe in prosperity, in the right context of that, which I'm going to be teaching soon, then chances are you're not going to believe God to get out of the mess that you're in. You need to get around someone who knows how to believe God. Who knows how to believe the Word of God, the promises of God. Walking with those who are walking in faith helps you to increase your faith. Faith comes from the Word of God, but it helps to walk around those who believe in God. The opposite is also true. Not only is walking with those who are walking in faith will help you increase your faith, walking with those who are walking in unbelief will, will increase your unbelief. If you're hearing me talk about faith and miracles and healing and prosperity, and then you associate with those who teach against that, Houston, we have a problem. I'm not going to struggle because, uh, in that context because I believe in God. But you're going to get two mixed messages and you're going to have to choose which one you're going to believe. And which one ever, whichever one is dominating your thoughts is going to be the one that's going to win. And more likely, you're going to be like the Father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you're not going to get going anywhere. It's going to shipwreck your faith. In Mark 6, let's, let's go here for a moment. Let's go to Mark 6. I don't have a lot of time left here. But then he went out from there, and he came to his own country. And his disciples, we're going to look at Mark's translation here, and then we're going to go back and look at Matthew's in, in a little while. And then he went out and from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get this, these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Before I go further, we're, this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus in his hometown. And they're not believing very well. Okay? Not at all. But they make a statement here that says, that such mighty works are performed by his hands. They're not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. They're not believing Jesus for who he is. But this group has already acknowledged that this man, Jesus, is performing miracles. Okay? Let's go go on. Is this not the carpenter? See, they only know him as a carpenter. The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, 
A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and his own house. Now he could not do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. See, and we need to be encouraged by this. Because some of you are trying to reach your family and friends. Or more specifically, your family members. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, maybe a relative. Okay, or a close, close friend that to you between your and your relationship is like a family member. Okay, we need the hardest people for you to reach is your own family. You gotta know, you gotta understand that. If Jesus had a hard time reaching his own family and his own uh, neighborhood community, we are gonna have a hard time. You must understand this because the devil will use this against you if you don't. If, if they are not receiving from you, you can't just cram it down their throats. And you can't just, you can't be obnoxious with it either. You cannot overpower, be overpowered with it. There are some people, especially your family, if they're not receiving from you, they're going to have to just trust God with their family. And when your family is not receiving from you, and pray that God will bring someone else who is not a family member so that maybe they will listen to you. Okay? Go back to Mark 6. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And we're not going to go to verse 5. Now he could not do mighty works there except that he lay hands on a few sick people and healed them. It's not that he wouldn't do many mighty miracles. It says that he couldn't do many mighty works. Jesus was not offended at them for being offended. He just, he couldn't. Why? It, it doesn't work. It won't work. Okay? Because the group was in unbelief. He was able to minister to a few sick people, but not at the magnitude that he is known for. In other communities where he's already, he's, he, he saw whole towns, whole villages uh, get healed. Okay? So he couldn't do many white works there. And he goes on to say, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages of circuit teaching. The unbelief of an entire group, an entire town, community, hindered the power of God. Yes, a few sick people got healed. But if the unbelief of an entire group hindered Jesus, then the entire group of unbelief can hinder you and me from yielding to the power of God. The cause of their unbelief was dishonor. They did not honor Jesus for being Jesus. They only saw him as a carpenter, the son of Mary. Okay? This dishonor caused unbelief in their life to receive from him as the son of God. Okay? The consequence was God's power was hindered in that town, in that community, in that group. The cure was teaching. Because that's all he could do. He marveled because of unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Satan will cause dishonor 
will dishonor the people of God in your life to cause people to disbelieve. In order to hinder their influence in your life. You know, we just talked about, and I'm, I'm closing this message this morning. We talked about how Paul was buffeted by men to try to discourage his ministry. To try to dishonor his ministry. So why does the devil buffet pastors and ministers constantly with so many attacks? Sherry and I, a few years back, we went through this at a very secure level. We had many people, not many people, we had a, we had a, a group of people. I mean, Paul had 40 people from, from the Jews. And we had something in that range, probably a little less than that, that we know about anyway. But it was a conspiracy, and they had, and this was all investigated. This was all sought out by our accountability board that we have. And they came to one conclusion that these people had one goal in mind, and that was to destroy our ministry and destroy us. And these were people we thought they were grace teachers, grace preachers. Thought they were uh, people of grace. We went to, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that comment. I'm trying not to spill the beans here. But it was very tough. And we were buffeted again and again and again and again. And we, it cost dishonor, not only before them, but it cost dishonor before others from receiving from us. All of their, all, everything they were doing was nothing but lies. And even when they had the opportunity to confront me in, 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 a, in an open forum that was to investigating me, and I opened the investigation to see if these things were true, when I saw that a bunch of gossip and, and slander was going around and heresy, I asked my, board, my legal board to commission my uh, uh, accountability board and investigate me as if these allegations were true. <coughs> Excuse me. None of these allegations had come to our board. None of these allegations were made to our church, but they, we were finding out through gossip that there was a lot of gossip going around. So I said I wanted our board to investigate the gossip. Not to investigate the gossipers. I wanted them to investigate the gossip to see if the gossip were true. Because I wanted my name cleared. And at least um, and as far as our church was. But if I was guilty, then I said, don't hold back anything. You know, confront me, deal with me. If I have to step down, I'll step down. Whatever the case would be, I'll step down. But I'm, because of the nature of the allegations, I'm going to investigate these allegations and see if they be true. We did. And all these people who were gossiping freely to everyone else, when they were coming to a board who was objective, and, and they were investigating me, not them, they, they got silent. They would not come forward. Such cowardice. And... And the board finally came to the conclusion that the only purpose for all this conspiracy and all this heresy was to bring and dishonor and destroy this ministry. And I'm only using that as an example, but the devil is trying to dishonor me or dishonor other pastors and ministers before your eyes, before the public's eyes. And in order to put unbelief and the people's hearts so they won't receive from that minister, from that pastor, or from me in the case that I was given an example. So that you won't receive from the power of God in my life or in another pastor's life. Am I making sense with this? This is how the enemy works. Okay? And the cure is teaching. 
That's why no matter what people have said, no matter what people have done, it's been quiet for the last few years. Thank God it's quieted down. We don't, we don't get that. I, you know, I don't know all the reasons why, but it just stopped. But that's why we will keep teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And you know, once it stopped, our ministry has blossomed to we now we have 14,000 people watching every, every week online. It's not in the way that I thought it would be. I didn't think this would be an internet, internet, international church, but we are reaching people. And no matter what people have said about me, no matter what people have said, done to us locally, I will keep teaching, 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 teaching. Because teaching is the only cure for this type of group of belief. How many know that we live in a cynical society? And we live in a society that is full of dishonor on all levels. So it's very hard to honor anyone anymore. There's many corrupt governments. There are just ministers who are just idiots. I'm not trying, I'm not giving any names out. But how many know there is a remnant of teachers? of ministers who you can honor today in the ministry. And if it's not me, for whatever reason, maybe some of this gossip's gotten to you, or you don't like how I handled it, or whatever, or whatever it might be, there's somebody, there are teachers out there, there are ministers out there preaching what I'm preaching that you can honor, and you can receive from. And where the only cure is teaching the Word of God. In Matthew, again, wrapping this up, same context, they were offended at Jesus, and Jesus marveled at their unbelief. So the first type of unbelief that we dealt with this morning is the, the, the belief that is, we've dealt with two. The, the extreme kind is the rejection of the truth, rejection of Jesus. And then the second kind is corporate unbelief, and I can elaborate on both of those a lot more. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at two more. A hard heart, that's another type of unbelief. And then uh, the third, the fourth kind is the disciples of belief. That's among believers, and we'll be looking at that. I'll be explaining that more in detail uh, next week as we talk about again the benefits of salvation, and we're talking about this. We're talking about healing and such great salvation. Well, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for your patience. Again, I went over a little bit. Apologize for that. But you guys all have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Amen.